Hi, anyone and everyone. Welcome to Have You Heard About This Case. My name is Sam. And my name is Kelly. Since we are doing part two, and you have patiently waited a week to hear the conclusion of the Chai Sua Vang case, I think we're going to skip our intro question for this one so we can hop right into it. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I strongly recommend pausing here, going back and listening to it, because last episode we talked about the crimes of Shai Sua Fang, and this week we're going to talk about the trial. And if I could just second Sam's recommendation here to listen to part one, I I would offer that because it gives you a lot of background into how we got here to this trial. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like mini history lessons throughout it mm-hmm. that become very relevant to everything. Mm-hmm. But just to give you a really brief br- recap reminder, Chai Zhuavang was born in Laos in the late 60s. He was a Hmong refugee and his family ended up in Minnesota. He had multiple violent encounters with ex-wives. He loved fishing. He loved hunting. But he also had multiple violations. And one of those was for trespassing while hunting. On December 21st, Vang accidentally trespassed onto private land after being approached, racially profiled, and threatened to be reported to the Department of Natural Resources, the DNR. He opened fire. He shot eight people multiple times. And fled the scene. One of his victims had the chance to radio the rest of their 15-person hunting party to ask for help while he was being shot down. By the time another unrelated, unrelated hunter helped Vang get back to the road, authorities were there waiting to arrest Vang. So that's just an incredibly brief recap. Mm-hmm. But once the authorities got to the scene... They realized that there were three survivors. Oh, yes. Lauren Hesbeck, Terry Willers, and Denny Drew. Unfortunately, Denny Drew later died at the hospital. But Vang was immediately booked for the murders and the attempted murders. And the sheriff took note that Vang seemed very calm for what he had just done. He was arrested without incident, and he stayed silent. And his bail was hmm. set at $2.5 million, Woo! Which, for the area, is an absolutely insane bail amount. I'm pretty sure it set a record. That's, that's a lot of bail money. They do not want him getting out, which I think is smart yeah. because he seems to be very, very dangerous. Yes. So I'd like to take a little bit of time to tell you about the lives of the victims. We didn't really do that in the last one because to understand the story, we really had to focus on Vang, but obviously they deserve their own time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we don't have a whole lot of information. There wasn't really social media at this point. This was 2004. Mm -hmm. So amongst generations beyond their like teenage years, most people didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of information, but I still want to tell you the few things I've learned. 
Robert Bob Corrado was 42 at the time of his death, and he owned a concrete business in Rice Lake, which mm-hmm. is about 30 miles from where the group was murdered in Meteor. Bob was married with three children. Joey Corrado, his son, was murdered at age 20. He was also his business partner in his concrete company. Oh, my gosh. Only 20. and 20. And he had a wife and and two other children. That's terrible. Yeah. And this has shattered that just, I mean, all these families, but... Oh, the, all of his them, bus- yeah. His this business community. partner? This is such a small community that everyone knows everyone in a place like this. Yeah. And so it really just shattered the whole Rice Lake community. Because you'll see most of these people are from Rice Lake. Oh, sorry. Go on. Yes. Alan Lasky, who was 43, managed mm-hmm. a lumber yard in Rice Lake. He was also married with three children. I. Mark Reut was 28. I couldn't find his occupation or if he had a family, but I know that he was invited on this hunting trip because Denny Drew invited him, just inviting a friend along. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and Denny again, Drew was... Again, so young. He, mm-hmm. He, yes, exactly. 28. Denny Drew was 55. He was a car salesman in Rice Lake. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he had a wife and kids, but I couldn't find that information. Mm-hmm. And then Jessica Willers, who was 27 when she was murdered. She was a nurse from Rice oh. Lake who had recently moved to Green Bay. And so I, Green Bay is on the other side of the state from Rice Lake. So I make the assumption that she was probably home for the holidays going out on a hunting group with her family she was engaged and planning her wedding at the time of her death no no that's if you guys again listen to the first episode um if you can because particularly jessica willers this poor 27 year old girl she suffered and they all suffered but that's so sad that's so sad. She's a it nurse. Really She's a nurse. She's just trying to help the community. 27 years old, about to get married. Uh, yeah, I, it, I, it's rough. I can definitely see how you how you um, mentioned that this could just shatter a community. This is so many lives it that really, were lost. Yeah. This is so many lives I, that were lost. Yeah, I didn't live in this area where this happens very specifically, but I, I grew up not far. And this was massive news. It affected so many people in all of northern Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then we also have our two survivors. Mm-hmm. Lauren Hesbeck, who was 48 at the time of the shooting. And he mm-hmm. was a manager at a dealership in Rice Lake. I'm not sure this is the same dealership that Denny Drew worked at, but I, I kind of assume so. Because Denny Drew was his brother-in-law. Oh, family. And then finally, we have Terry Willers, who was 47 at the time of the shooting. He was Jessica Willers' f- uh, father. No. Oh, wait, he's right. And he's he right. worked for... 
he survived. Uh, unfortunately, his daughter did not. That is so tragic. And he worked for the Karatos concrete business. Could could you remind me, Sam, which of these folks property he was on who owned the property? It was Terry Willers and Bob Carrado. So Terry Willers okay, so did they, survive as one of the owners. They owned it jointly and one of the okay, okay, and one of the owners survived. All right. Yes. So I, I don't think it'll come as any surprise to you to know that there are two sides to this story. Mm-hmm. The story I told you in the last episode was the version given from the hunting party as told by Lauren Hesbeck and Terry Willers. Mm-hmm. Vang's story was that he was shot at first by Willers. Willers did have a gun on him, but no one else did. Bang says that he was defending himself and that the hunting party, and I believe very specifically Bob Carato, were yelling multiple offensive resource slurs at Bang and threatening uh. him. Vang feared for his life. And we, we truly don't know what story is true. And, you know, we've heard this, we've heard this on, maybe it's our friends, the prosecutors, that there's always three sides to a story, one side, one side, the other side, side, and the truth. truth. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And it usually lands somewhere in the middle. So. And I, I believe that this one will. So it's very interesting to go through all of the different details of everyone's version Yes, because I, because I think I do think it lies in the middle. Yeah, I do. I, like hearing hearing this now does make me. It, it does present something that I think would be compelling to a jury, um, given that he's claiming that they were yelling racial slurs at him, mm-hmm. which and if they fired I, first. I think it could have been true that they were yelling racial slurs at him because in our last episode, we already covered that there was a little bit of racial tension in the conversation that they had before the crime was committed. Yes. But I don't know if I buy that they shot at him first. I I just don't know. Maybe I'll know more soon. Well, we don't know. Um, during okay. the initial questioning, Vang actually did give three different versions of the story. Okay. That's not a good sign. No. And I'm not sure how they all differed from each other, um, but it clearly just, in that itself, it wasn't enough consistency for the police to think that he was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. When a journalist from the Chicago Tribune called to get Vang's side of the story, he then gave it a fourth version of events. Okay. So, that's interesting. One thing that I do know is that one of the versions that he gave, which I believe potentially was the first one, was that it was actually Terry Willers who committed all the murders using Vang's gun. He said he took the gun out of Vang's hands. He was wearing gloves and he lined everyone up in line and shot them and then gave the gun back to Vang. Okay. That's like, I mean, that is sure. I, 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 I don't think there's a, a sense of truth in that you, in, in any, I was, any way, shape, or form. I was just about to say, you sure have spun a yarn there, Vang. Um, yeah. 
So uh, I, I do think he then changed the other versions to be a little more accurate to the uh, real series of events. Um, but still, he claimed that Willers shot first and that Vang was defending himself. That's something that I don't think ever changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the trial was pretty controversial. And a trial of this magnitude in northern Wisconsin are very rare. Mm-hmm. A jury was brought from Dane County, which is the county that holds the state capital, Madison, which is about four hours south. Mm-hmm. And okay. it only took them three hours to pick the jury. Wow. Yeah. That's unbelievably fast. That's that's very fast. I- so the jury was made out of all white people and uh, supporters of Vang were very upset about this. Uh, Vang's defense team wanted the trial moved. They mm-hmm. were worried that with all of the history that we discussed in the last episode with the walleye wars, that mm-hmm. no matter how well they presented their case, they would lose it just due to the recent historical racial bias in the area. Right. And wait, how, how, how in, are we still in 2004-ish, correct? 2005 was the trial. So it happened very quick because this happened November of 2004 and it was just about a year later, uh, kind of like summer, fall of 2005. How was this an all white jury that it, that's just how, how jury pick went I, yeah well i guess they it. only i guess they only took three hours so that I, that just surprises me that the entire jury was was white but i guess yeah. you're judged by a jury of your peers so so wherever they pick but that from, was the argument that's you, those aren't bangs yeah peers. yeah his peers yeah yeah okay i see so, i see like, the problems yeah, so you can tell that, like, based on what you heard from the Wally Wars in the last episode, that this mm-hmm. area is just so racially charged. And mm-hmm. there's no right answer at this point, I think, because no matter what, they're going to be unhappy people. Mm-hmm. Because, le- Sam, you straightened me out. You you might know this. Um, Vang's team wanted this trial moved. But... Would they have been able to move this trial anywhere but the state of Wisconsin? Like, wouldn't the trial have to Probably happen not. in Wisconsin? Yeah, I think it would have to happen in Wisconsin. But okay. I think they would have probably pushed for going to Madison or maybe Milwaukee, somewhere mm-hmm. further south, that has more okay. of a diverse population than northern Wisconsin. R- northern okay. Wisconsin, like, there obviously is a diverse population. But when you're you're talking about race and and skin color it's really Mm -hmm. white people and natives right yeah so i i guess beyond that yeah i was just wondering like what their goal would be um as far as moving it like uh i was i i wasn't am ignorant of many things and i wasn't sure if it would have been possible for them to even move this out of the state because maybe at this point most of the people in the state had heard stuff about this um but regardless i know it was massive news by me um and we'll get into Mm -hmm. it a little bit later 
Yeah, regardless, the defense the news, wasn't able the news to move wasn't it. wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, no, they yeah. weren't. It, it, it still stayed. I believe the trial was in Hayward, which is <laughs> close to Meteor. Um, but Vang's defense team also wanted to have him evaluated to determine his sanity at the time mm. of the crime. Vang said that he was hearing voices of an evil shaman. And he said that he would hear the voice when people would use racial slurs towards him and when he would get angry. Mm-hmm. Mm. He also gave examples of hearing the voice while he was driving his semi and it would tell him that he should try to run other cars off the road. He was evaluated and he was declared sane. So this was not an option for his defense team. Okay. That's an interesting point. Uh, Again, go back and listen to the first one, uh, first part of this episode, because he had that experience where he, he went to become a shaman. Correct. He traveled to train. Yeah, exactly. To train or become. And okay. And so now he's, trying to pull that into his defense, but the court doesn't have that. Okay. Yep, they, they declared that he was sane and that they okay. could not yeah. use insanity as a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So prosecuting mm-hmm. attorney, Peggy Loggenschlotter, I have to say, that is such a Wisconsin name. Wisconsin is yeah. very German. <laughs> I was going to say... Loggenschlotter. That... I was going to say, first of all, I know that this case is... is very close to home for you, but slow clap for Sam for if you guys could see the way that this last name is spelled, I would <laughs> have had to say so it. Long. I would have had to say this name like three times and cut out two of them. And it's so <laughs> German that it reminds me of my it's mom's so maiden German. name. <laughs> Cause you know, yeah, my my yeah, mother yeah, has it. Yeah. She's a very uh German maiden name and it is a incredibly difficult to spell uh and that rolled right off your tongue tongue, (laughs) yeah it rolled right off your tongue (laughs) i this was i'm not joking when i say this was big news this was Mm -hmm. this dominated the news do you know right because by now we're at 2005 and sam we're not that far apart in age you would have been in high school right I was 15, yeah. Okay, okay, so close to high school, so you probably remember a lot of this. Yeah, I think I was a sophomore in high school um, mm-hmm. when the trial was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have been a sophomore. I would have been turning 16 that fall. Oh, okay. Because my birthday's a handful okay. of days after the shooting. Mm-hmm. My birthday's the 28th of November, so it literally mm-hmm. happened on the 21st of November. Mm-hmm. Um, but Peggy Loggenschlager, she came up with an explanation that does make a whole lot of sense. And this was her reason for wanting to prosecute Vang to the fullest extent of the law. She said that she saw a trend in Vang blaming everyone else for his violence. Mm. While driving the semi, he wanted to drive others off the road. He held a gun to his wife. When she invited men, a.k.a. his friends, over for dinner and she exposed his infidelity. He then nearly choked his second wife to death after 
she gambled money that he left on the dresser. She's just pu- pulling out all of these examples in Jeez. him of him getting angry and overreacting. She's got, I was going to say, she's got a good, a good prosecution there. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, the history is there. The pattern is there. I understand where she's going with that logic. During the trial, one of the survivors, Lauren Hesbeck, testified saying that Vang was the first to shoot. And Vang says that Terry Willers was the first to shoot. So it just turned into a he said, he said battle between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And all they really had here were first person accounts. Hmm? One thing that's a little crazy to me is neither the prosecution nor the nor the defense did any sort of ballistics testing to see if they could determine who shot first. What? I just put it's the microphone believed. directly. <laughs> I just put the microphone directly on my mouth to say, yeah, what? It's believed it would be be because it would be truly detrimental to whoever was proven to shot first. And I honestly think both sides were worried about were worried about the honesty of everyone involved. Hmm. I think that they kind of knew that neither side of these stories were actually the truth. Right. And what's very interesting about either side not supporting this part of the investigation is that investigators never found any shell casings from Terry Willers' gun. Even though Hesbeck admitted to shooting the gun. So it makes me just wonder how well the scene was investigated as a whole. Yeah. Did they look for a slug? Like, I I know that can be incredibly hard to find, but he, you never know. He could have shot a tree. It could have been right on the scene right there. Easy to find. Yeah, or a casing. But not even a or... casing? Yeah. Yeah. Like if he had, So if that's he had... really weird to me. Yeah, that's very strange. And it, it makes me wonder, too. I have no clue about the remaining people in the hunting party. This was a 15-person hunting party. That means that there are seven people back at that cabin. Yeah. Did they get to the scene first? first i i don't know i i have no answers to any of that um, yeah but i just it just it raises a lot of questions why there's no casing why both sides made the decision not to especially the hunting party yeah wouldn't yeah it just seems like it would be beneficial to both parties to figure this out but both i think just what you said both parties are worried about what the truth is should it come out yeah and i don't know why but that's what it sounds like well hesbeck admitted on the stand that bob carrado had an issue specifically with Hmong hunters Hmm. and that they were trespassing on his land so that uh, that makes me wonder a few things how many times has this happened? 
How many times mm-hmm. did he catch the trespassers? Were they always Hmong trespassers? Mm-hmm. He didn't live on this land. There was a cabin on it, but he lived in Rice Lake, which is about 30 miles away. So how often could this have happened? Right. I was going to... I was going <laughs> to... This has been something that's stuck in my head since episode one in in this two-parter that caught Kato did immediately say something about Hmong hunters when yeah. he first interacted with Vang. So, and that's, that's again, many- I, like it kind of fits into all these questions that I don't have answers to. Exactly. How many times could this have happened? Why would you have this specific issue with with this specific type of hunter? Like, wouldn't you be mad at all the hunters that tr- trespassed on your land? Well, it is actually a known issue that Hmong hunters have actually discussed themselves, admitted to, and trespassing on private land. But it isn't oh, oh. just to trespass and break the law. It's a difference in cultures. Apparently, mm. this just isn't an issue in Laos. And Hmong hunters transitioning to hunting in the States have uh-huh. overseen that or forgotten that. And it has yeah, been known okay. that Hmong hunters will go on private property. And this okay. is coming from people who are Hmong hunters themselves. They acknowledge that this is a gap in some people's knowledge Right, right, right. Because I mean, obviously, yeah, it's 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 just another example of uh, the culture shock of moving somewhere from your own country where before it wasn't an issue. But now all of a sudden, you know, it needs to be permitted and it needs to be overseen. And it was never an issue before. Mm -hmm. And another thing that was mentioned by a local hunter from the area around Meteor and Rice Lake, who has lived in the area for decades. He said that for a long time, people just didn't really care if you were on their property, as long as you didn't really abuse that privilege. And Mm -hmm. it really wasn't until tourists started coming to hunt in the area more that Mm. areas like Meteor were starting to have an issue with this. And the the area around Meteor was frequently tourists from minnesota so there kind of just became this bias against minnesota and it's like oh you're here to hunt you're probably going to be a problem um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i can understand that not like understand it as like oh yeah i totally understand that minnesota is going to be a problem but there was a term that willers used um which is quote-unquote a mud duck while Uh. radioing back to the cabin uh, and that doesn't sound this good. was during the yeah exactly uh and this was like the first initial encounter this is when he was radioing back to like make sure that no one else was in the tree and that once he realized that it was vang and that vang was Hmong, he also then called him a Hmong asshole uh, i've never heard the term mud duck before but I it is considered to be offensive it sounds so, offensive. Pl- yeah. Please know that when I'm saying this, it is in context of quoting this case. 
But the term specifically is supposed to refer to hunters from Minnesota who visit and hunt in western Wisconsin. So while I haven't heard this term before, I fully believe it exists based on my personal experience living in northern Wisconsin. There was a term that I often heard growing up, and technically I'm considered one, and it is a fib. A.K.A. a fucking Illinois bitch. (laughs) Yeah. That is a very (laughs) commonly used term. You're going to have to turn down the audio on this. I didn't. You cut out for me. (laughs) I I laughed so hard. Illinois. A fib. Fucking Illinois bitch. Yep. 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 Yeah. It's very, very well known term up north. And uh-huh. it is very widely used and it's mm-hmm. because there's so many different areas of Wisconsin that people from Illinois vacation in to experience the yeah. North Woods that it, mm-hmm. it drives the locals nuts and it just created this bias towards anyone from Illinois and most specifically Chicago. And we mm-hmm. kind of, we, I ended up living there long enough and my family still lives there. That despite being from Illinois, we've gained respect from the locals just by the basics of respecting them um, and constantly being kind to them. But it is a term that is so often used for tourists that it's like it's hard to go a day without hearing it during tourist season. Yeah, and it I when Sam took me there, I've I've visited. Um, we saw it just all around the area and in Wisconsin, if, if I'm not wrong, Sam, you can correct me as many, many lakes and all of these lakes oh, have, yeah. have these million dollar homes uh, with the lakefront view that are probably brought, bought up by these people from Chicago and to come and cool their heels that's for a while in the summer. My grandmother had a summer home that like, mm-hmm. that's how we moved. We moved into her summer home. When we first mm-hmm. got there. So that that makes a lot of sense to me that like the locals would have like a term for it um, because it's there were just so many like m- looking around just multi-million dollar homes that uh, I imagine people resided in only part of the time. And that would make you well, uh, feel feel a little differently about them. A, more than anything, it's. The they come up during very specific times of the year, so mm-hmm. you know when it's tourist season. But also, yeah. because they're not from there, they don't act like locals. They don't do the same things locals do. They don't talk the same way as the locals do, and mm-hmm. that makes them angry. Mm-hmm. No, and like honestly, that's where it comes from. Is it's just like you're not local. You're not from here. So I'm gonna hold a grudge, regardless if. You could be the most amazing person in the world. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's that immediate bias that they they yeah. judge somebody and immediately say, "No, I don't like you." Yeah, which uh, I can say from my experience going to Northern Wisconsin as an out of stater, I had a lovely time and met nothing but lovely people. I brought you up so, during tourist season. Yes. So I was technically uh, a fib, but I was still treated very kindly 
and they, they won't say it to your face. That's no, thing. oh no! I'm it's sure once I left off. the store, I'm sure once I left the store, they were like, she had no idea where she was going. <laughs> oh yeah, that I I worked in those retail stores along like the main strip of downtown where all the tourists go. Uh, it's it can be rough. <laughs> I did that for many, many, many years, and I felt My... like I was one of the few people that would like want to engage in with people from Illinois because I could always have that like hey where you from I know the area I grew up down in the suburbs like I have that connection that a lot of people just weren't even willing to try a lot of and and this tourist sentiment I kind of get my my best friend lives in Florida so she hmm. knows she knows something about tourist season because as soon as the weather turns here in Chicago they all migrate to Florida and my best friend has just told me it is so challenging to get the basics done during tourist season. It really is. Mm -hmm. Just to get your basic stuff done. Needing to go, like, we don't, we were lucky we had a Walmart in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And just having to go to Walmart to pick up, like, shampoo and conditioner is a nightmare. And there's no Mm -hmm. such thing. Like, obviously I didn't live there during the era of Lyft and Uber and DoorDash (laughs) and all of those. That still doesn't exist up there though. To this day in 2023, they don't have that. Like that's how these towns are still operating. And it's not be like, I'm sure if, if people are doing it through the summer, it would make a huge profit, but that's kind of the allure of the town. At the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's it's a different life up there. And like, I don't want to mm-hmm. be sitting here and mm-hmm. like bashing my hometown. Because I really love where I grew up. I get no, very excited lovely. to go back. I got very excited to bring you with me last fall. But oh, I had so it, much fun. I, I, I'd be lying if it didn't have its issues. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And we issues just... exist. And... Y'all just heard me tell the story of Danny Green a little bit ago. That's my hometown, you know? So it, it, it stuff's happening all over the place. Yeah, and we're talking about things in a lot of general terms as well. And, like, I can tell you, there's so many people that I grew up with that are truly amazing people. Who are who not dealing with these racist issues from the walleye wars and the people who don't hold those generational biases in either mm-hmm. direction and have this love for each other and respect for each other that exists and it, it, it absolutely mm-hmm. exists up there but unfortunately mm-hmm. there is another side of it and they are polar opposites yeah and in a small town you just see it more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so with all of that i i can really understand that being openly referred to as a quote-unquote mud duck and a quote-unquote mung asshole could so easily be so incredibly offensive to somebody especially somebody who has been racially profiled their whole life if you remember in the last episode we were talking about how vang his father helped block the ho chi minh trail and they were eventually granted political asylum to come to the states but then they were treated terribly because there was misunderstood racism against the Hmong people 
and just having that mentality of my family's helping you and you granted us privileges to come into your country and then you're terrible to us when we get here like yeah he he this was from the beginning for him that he experienced this racial profiling wow wow and it, yeah i i can't imagine openly like just jumping to slurs like that when you've only just found somebody trespassing on your property exactly like it, it's just it, it not that it, it not to this escalation so fast exactly i was gonna say not that it justifies any of what happened it doesn't but immediately leading with this does just as you said escalate things to it takes it to a different place it's it's less yes. of a conversation and more of a confrontation during Bing's testimony, he said that the slurs were much worse than the ones that I just mentioned. I will not say mm. them. Um, mm. If you, you want to find out, they are out there for, for you to see. But Willers and Hesbeck did testify that Bob, when once Bob Corrado arrived, that it was a very one-sided conversation. And it included a fair bit of profanity with many racial slurs in Vang's direction. And according to the people who knew Bob Corrado, he was kind of known as a hothead and that he had a reputation for being a loudmouth. Ooh. So things are falling into place very differently than we kind of came to the conclusion of in the last episode where we, we don't really know what's true here. Because both sides right. kind of make sense, but both sides are equally as awful. And unfortunately, yeah. both sides still ended in six people dying and two people being injured. Yeah. Yeah. And again, nothing justifies that in the in the horror that it, you know, unleashed on this community. But I, I understand what his defense is doing here um, in in trying to bring this forward. Um, and it because it kind of, you know, the defense wants you to I'm not a lawyer. Y'all, I don't know. But the defense wants you essentially to put yourself in the shoes of their client. And what would you do? And what I would do if somebody immediately came at me. Hurling Irish slurs, which I, uh, whatever. But if they came at me hurling profanity and hurling insults, I don't, I and many people do not respond well to people raising their voice to me because I was, again, I was raised and uh, you're not going to, who do you think you're talking to? You're not going to talk to me like that. Right. So... But being a loudmouth and a hothead doesn't mean that anything they're saying is true. You know, we, it also doesn't we mean that you deserve to be murdered for it. No, no, no. Yeah, and so and so we don't really know that any of this was said. Oh, we do have a confirmation of at least a couple racial slurs as he first saw him because he said it on the radio. Um. 
Yeah, and and people aren't denying that there were racial slurs, Mm -hmm. but they're denying the severity of them. But it's 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 well known fact through this testimony that yes, racial slurs were used towards Vang. So a quote from a retired reporter, Ed Calhain, in Meat Eater article, said that it came down to two strong personalities: one bully, and the other homicidal. He also said, I came away from the trial not liking Corrado. He was full of himself and his, with all of his friends around, even though the other guy had a loaded rifle. He was so into his bullying and being the big guy that he didn't expect that Vang, who was five foot four inches tall, was capable of doing. Mm. His actions didn't justify six murders, but he behaved really badly yeah i think that's a fantastic way of putting it i think because i think it's showing that both sides have issues here yeah i I think that's a very good way to way to describe what happened here into this what brought us to this crime yeah and thing killed and six I, people yeah i mean if we recall correct me if i'm wrong it was a, it was a sharpshooter he was qualified yep. as yeah so yep. with the uh, national guard he was a mm-hmm. certified sharpshooter so and if you seems... remember when he first started the shooting what willers said is he got down on one knee and took off the scope of his rifle yeah yeah wow i think that's something that's a really big kind of point out is removing your scope because you have intentions if you're removing your scope yeah close shooting your scope is for long distance they were 20 yards apart they were like 20 or 40 i don't quite remember but not not far apart right there is a documentary on this case called open season and I will send this to you, Kelly. It's on YouTube. It'll be in the okay. show notes. But I'm Kelly, yeah. you need to watch it. Uh-huh. Um, it's only an hour long. So it's a very easy documentary to get through. Mm-hmm. But Paul Demain said that people really believe the incident was waiting to happen because there had been so many other racial incidents before. Oh. And he's referring to Bob Corrado in this situation. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So we, we already know that there is a very recent history when it comes to racial conflict in the area about fishing. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that Vang's story of events were true and that he was threatened due to his ethnicity. But Vang also has a history of violence. And as you just mentioned, he was a sharpshooter in the National Guard. Like, you're really playing with two things here that are never going to work well together. No, no, I uh, and I, I know that they said, like, he had a a history of being a loudmouth and a bully. And gosh, I just wish. I gosh, I just wish they had just let him turn and go because yeah. if if you That's listen to so part, part one, to me. 
if you listen to he part tried. one, Vang, Vang did try to leave the property at least once, Sam, maybe twice. He tried multiple he tried to times. Leave. Yeah. And he was he was physically stopped by people standing in his way or yeah. he was followed. Mm-hmm. Like he, he made an attempt. He apologized. I personally do believe it was an I accident. I wish that this could have turned out another way. Agreed. Like uh, it just it makes me so sad. And we talked about this a little bit with when we recorded Danny Green, mm-hmm. but we kind of had this call out of people like to stick with people that they understand. And I believe there was a good bit of that within Danny Green between the Irish and the Italians. They were both yeah. two groups of people who understood their own personal communities and they mm-hmm. didn't like the other one. And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a lot of our issues here as well. We have our mm-hmm. natives who are mm-hmm. receiving rights different from the rest of the population. These mm-hmm. rights have a reason that they were given to them. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the population, who is a very, very, very large majority white, mm-hmm. don't understand it. And then they feel left out. So they get angry instead of acknowledging that, well, look at the history. Look at what we've taken away from natives. These treaties were put in place to have them try to keep some bit of their culture alive. Right. Right. And and that's not what happened. Yeah. And not to keep talking about our Danny Green episode, but it's just, you're right, with the Italian-American population... And the Irish American population at that time, it's such a shame that instead of coming together as all recent immigrants, they couldn't find common ground. And I wish that in this scenario, there had been maybe common ground of like, oh, well, we're all hunters. We all get lost sometimes, you know, like I I wish, I wish that they had just let let him leave you're i I completely agree and watching that open season documentary they Mm -hmm. basically say as much they interview Mm -hmm. a lot of Hmong hunters in that Mm -hmm. documentary well i have a quote from one a little later on here but Mm -hmm. they they just talk about their love of hunting and Mm -hmm. i can tell you growing up there and I have some personal stories we're going to get to in a little bit um, when it comes to kind of my life witnessing hunting and its importance to the community, but it's life. Like it it truly, it's no joke when I say it's to feed your family because Mm -hmm. most families don't Mm -hmm. buy meat in the grocery store. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like that's such that it could be such a great bond to to have that. And yeah, I'm I'm not going to yeah. get into them, but I I I know natives who that first time hunting is a rite of passage. It, it's typically a a boy and his grandmother is the one to take him out hunting. Oh, and that is that, that is a rite mean. of passage for you to become a man. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see how that would and be it's beautiful. Very like it's it's culture, a tradition, yeah, that culturally important, yeah, and and rites of passage, you know, and and just hearing that so, hunting yeah, is so I, much I a part of their culture, you know. Exactly, and you're right. It's such a perfect common ground that if we could just get over skin color, right, then we're fine. Like, that's what it is. It's getting over the skin color. But there there wasn't any sort of physical altercation before the shooting started. Joey Corrado did block the way for Vang as he was trying to leave peacefully. But Vang said that he truly feared for his life. With multiple statements supporting Vang's account of events with the beyond excessive racial racial slurs along with the accidental trespassing, then while making an attempt to leave, being followed, and then accosted by a group of six hunters, I I can understand Vang being scared. Mm -hmm. I can't understand him shooting eight people multiple times. Also, while seven of those people are unarmed. Yes, that is so important. Unarmed people. And, and we don't, like, Vang did not know that the last two victims who came to the scene, Jessica Willers and Adam Lasky, he didn't know they didn't bring a gun with them. Mm-hmm. Other than Vang's rifle, the only other gun on the scene belonged to Terry Willers, who he shot first. Yeah. Yeah. And it it kind of... I don't know. You know, typically when we read these cases and things build and things escalate, they follow a certain trajectory. And this one just seems like it went from zero to 60. Like they did, did, they did block his path from leaving, but that is a, I would expect like fisticuffs at that point. Right. Like I would not expect all of a sudden for it to jump to gun violence. That's, that's. And Terry Willers, his testimony was that they were on the four wheelers and actually driving away when Vang dropped a knee and yes, took off his scope. Yeah. Yeah. You said that, that they, they were driving away and they were, yeah. Um, I can understand him being afraid that, that, because like you'll hear in, in part one, I thought that it was a gang of five people who were going to do something to Vang because, I mean, he was in a he was in a position that you don't want to find yourself in with with just you and five angry. Yeah, with just you and five people who are extremely angry at you. And you're in the middle of the woods with no one else around. Yeah. And you're lost. Yeah. But it's still the outcome doesn't justify the that fear, right? Right. Like you being scared didn't make you take off your orange fluorescent vest and turn it to camo so you could make sure you sh- you could shoot someone in the back. I'm I'm right. standing firm on what I said the first time. I do think he's a coward, um, and I I don't think that I don't think that it was because maybe part of it was because we he was afraid but i think a lot of it is because he was angry 
and he had never before. We've seen, we've seen, yeah, we've seen a pattern and he hasn't executed anything yet in as far as this pattern, but it seems like he was a lot more angry than he was scared. Oh, it, it gets worse. <sighs> so Vang did take the stand, even though he was oh, advised boy. against it. Sure he was. <laughs> I bet. Well, Vang did say that he was not the first to shoot. He did say that if I didn't shoot him, he would have shot me. While referring to the first shot he took towards the only person with a gun in the group, Terry Willers. Another thing the defense had to try to explain was the fact that four of the victims were shot in the back. So mm-hmm. you're, you're right on with that. Mm-hmm. Bang did say on the stand that he shot two of the victims in the back because they were disrespectful to him. Quote unquote, <laughs> disrespectful to him. And I, I just have to say, you're not helping your case. <laughs> like, come on, man. No. Like, that. <sighs> That's a bad thing to say on the stand. Why would you? I yeah. mean, I, I mean, like, go how... ahead and say it, but awful. Yeah, you can say it. Yeah, you can say it, but I hope you enjoy jail. I just, yeah. I'm sure his defense team was like, oh, good. Good. I heavens. can't even imagine. How do we get this man off the stand within the next 20 seconds? (laughs) Exactly. During a conversation with a reporter, Vang actually said that multiple victims, quote unquote, deserved to die for a variety of reasons, all all relating to the confrontation that involved insulting his race. This interview was played in court. Oh, wow. That's that's a statement that you don't want to make to a reporter. <laughs> nope. You why why would you say that if you're trying to stay out of prison? Yeah. So like like really all that could happen is defense team just did anything that they could to control the narrative. But the interview was played in court. There's nothing that they could really do after those statements were made. No. Nope. The the only thing that really potentially benefited him in this whole trial was that the testing was never done to prove who shot first. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we we don't we don't know that, but the testing wasn't done to confirm anything, so that's something that's kind of in his benefit. And apparently Hespeck had told his wife that Willers did shoot first, but he denied that he said that on the stand. So again, that's a hearsay. He said, he said statement. Like I, I'm, yeah, I'm just blown away that they didn't do ballistics because me too. I think honestly, it was more of the prosecution being worried that maybe they did shoot first they did shoot first yeah yeah because I, th- I i do think that's a possibility i think it could have even been a shot into the sky to like give a, a warning, warning shot yeah like it could have been that but i think the prosecuting prosecution didn't push it because they felt like that was a good possibility that that's only yeah. my personal opinion yeah 
But I just don't see why else the prosecution so specifically would not push for that testing. Right. Because uh, they, they were probably like, that's not going to have any benefit to us. So Exactly. If they find out that he yeah. shot first, then yes, it's self-defense. Like, right. there's still the an argument for the crimes because there's still crimes. But right. Like, right. But your sentencing yeah, is know. totally transformed. Exactly. From, yeah. So during other testimony, it was determined that Jessica Willers and Alan Lasky, the, the two hunters who arrived last on the scene and that were shot in the back as they drove past Vang while he was hiding in the bushes, they didn't have a gun on him. So it confirms the only gun on the scene when authorities arrived was Terry Willers' gun. Again, this is there's some weird stuff here not finding... The, the shell casings or a slug yeah. from mm-hmm. that gun when it's been testified that one shot was fired. Yes. yes. But everyone back at the cabin said that no one else brought any guns with them. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if anyone went to the scene before authorities got there and could have grabbed anything. But I think it, it's... I, I just... I feel like that's just not smart <laughs> to do. And I think that's something where it's like they had to stumble on the scene and be like, oh, I know what happened. They they got in a fight and they lost. Mm-hmm. I don't think people would think that coming to a scene like that. No. No. So I, I don't know. I just, there's, there's something weird with the shell casing, but I, I do think that the the remaining people in the cabin didn't really interfere with the scene. I think that's, that's, I, I like, that's too much. I would tend to agree with you. Like if, uh, I'm sure it was a crime scene at some point and I'm sure there was a detective there at some point. And if that detective didn't find a slug or a shell casing, what would you going down there do, you know? Right. Well, and you also have to think about it. These detectives are not used to crimes like this. Yes, yes, you said they, that. Yes, they've been it... trained, but they, they're not used to things like this happening. That that has to be very overwhelming as an investigator to walk into a scene like that. I in can't small imagine. small town Meteor, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Didn't so, you like, say you, Meteor You have to is... understand that. Didn't you say Meteor is like a town of 200 people? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's less than 200 yeah. people. So I'm sure they had to bring in so, investigators from out of town and different yeah. areas and stuff because they probably didn't have a detective in Meteor. And and to have six people uh, out of an only 200 person community murdered. That's I mean, that's significant. Technically, they're you... from a bigger town about 30 miles away, but it's still like. Even a bigger town, mm-hmm. that's a huge number of people. Mm-hmm. Like, and to process that, that's a crime, so many people to process a crime scene like that with so exactly so much going on. Yeah. So September twenty sixth, two thousand five, Chai Sua Vang was convicted of six counts of first degree intentional homicide. And two counts of attempted homicide. 
Each count was 70 years. So he is clearly going to spend the rest of his life in prison with no option of parole. Mm. He did try to file an appeal. It was immediately denied. Mm -hmm. And in 2007, he said that the judge should have suppressed the comments that he made to the reporter. But that appeal was also denied. Yeah, I bet it was. Also, dude, dude, it's bad for you as far as appeals go. If you took the stand in your defense Mm -hmm. and you admitted the stuff you admitted to to the court, you're not going to have a lot of luck with appeals because you've already stood in front of a jury of your peers and they've already found you guilty. Exactly. So... So we, we've discussed this a lot, but in an area that has already had a lot of racial tension, this only made things worse. Instead of the natives, there was a new subject for the racism. The monks. They changed their slogan from the Wally Wars to save a deer, kill a monk. They painted this on their tailgates, on their trucks. And remember, this is the 2000s, less than 20 years ago. That's, that's wild. That's, yep. That's wild. Especially since I can't imagine, I don't know the statistics, but how many Hmong people could have been there? Like. Well, Minnesota was, was a, it an immigration a pretty big for... immigration area. Yes. Oh, um, okay. Okay. But still. Okay, <sighs> yes, still. But it it does make more sense to me now that there are, like, more people there. I thought, like, there could, you know, possibly only be a really small population. But uh, no, there's, why there's a good number in put... Minnesota. I think there was a good number in Milwaukee as well. But um, right. still. But why a lot? Yeah, why you would want to? Why you would want to put a sticker on your bumper that says you want to kill somebody is beyond me. It wasn't just (laughs) a sticker on their bumper; it was painted across the whole tailgate. Like if you watch that open season documentary, you'll see them. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! And the thing is, with a lot of this too, the survivors and their families—they were really trying to stop this Mm -hmm. you'll see an interview with with some of the people um who are direct relatives of the victims Mm -hmm. and they really didn't want this racism to go on like this and -hmm. i give them a whole lot of credit for that yeah because yeah they they easily could have just blamed him for everything Right, he's, he's he's at fault. Obviously, he's the one who pulled the trigger and chose to do that. But it, it's it's not his culture that chose him to do that. It is not his race that chose him to do that. Yeah, I was going to say that's that. quite. I was going to say that's quite admirable on the family's part to yeah to say like this isn't okay. Like just because. You know, our family members can never come back, but this isn't okay (laughs) to do to a group Mm -hmm. of people because of it. Because when these people are 
painting this on their bumpers or saying this stuff, they think like, oh, yeah, well, I'm standing with the victims and I'm, you know, doing what they want when, as you've just said, that this family did not want this. Well, that's what was so interesting about the reporting. And Mm -hmm. I I talk about it very shortly here, so I'll I'll touch more on it there because I I have a really Mm -hmm fantastic quote from the open season documentary which came out in i believe in 2010 or 2011 so this came out a handful of years after everything Mm -hmm. but i feel like this kind of sums up this part of the conversation so well and it says bang is an individual and he made choices of what he thought was best for him at the time he has to live with that choice and it's sad because i have to live with that choice too because i am mung and this was said by Chino mm-hmm. Lowe, who was interviewed for the documentary. He is an avid hunter. Mm. And I think this is a really fantastic way of putting this racism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had to deal yeah. with it. He it was it was something that he was forced to deal with that mm-hmm. he had nothing to do with. He he made it very clear that like he's the type of hunter. He's not a sport hunter. You know, there's those people right. who right. hunt just because they want to get a, a big point buck deer to put on their mantle. He hunts yeah. for his food and that's all he'll hunt for. He doesn't do any sort of sport game hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, he's having to deal with this. Yeah. it it And he puts it so eloquently. Like, he made that choice, and it's sad that he, the hunter, now has to live with it just because he's mm-hmm. mom. Like, and it makes you he think made of, that like, choice home of the for, free and innocent until proven guilty. And you're right. right. Chino Lo did nothing wrong, but he's mm-hmm. not considered in home of the free. He's not free because of actions of somebody else. And right, he's, he's always immediately assumed as guilty, even though it's innocent until proven guilty because of somebody else. Yeah, and he's going to be looked down up- upon for mm-hmm. something that every culture, every ethnicity, every race we- murders abound, and it really, really is a shame that. This whole Hmong community now in the area has to live with Vang's choices. And that's the thing for like such that's such a great way of putting it for so many different situations, not just this one, because as I mentioned earlier, like I was saying, I do love my hometown and I don't want it to sound like I am just saying that. Everyone I know there is racist and everyone I know acts like this. And that's not true. And I think that's a really important thing to call out. And we we can just say that in literally, I think, any episode that we've covered Mm -hmm. has anything to do with some sort of bias or race. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just really important to continually remember. Mm -hmm. And I fully believe Vang's conviction is correct. Yeah. I believe that it is a mixture of the two stories, mm-hmm. but I do believe he made the choice to murder people. Mm-hmm. He shot him in the back. He shot them multiple mm-hmm. times. He took off the scope of his gun. Mm-hmm. He made that choice. It was not the right choice. Yeah. Regardless of who shot first. 
if right. if Terry Willers did shoot first, Vang is a marksman and he could have probably fired a shot that would have scared him without hurting anybody. Right. And even if Terry Willers took a shot at you, it doesn't make it okay to return fire on the entire party of people. Exactly. And it just doesn't. What I remember from the news is is quite mind-blowing to me. All that was reported was that a Hmong man came upon a group of hunters and massacred them. Wow. That was it. Wow. I called my mom of... and my sister to kind of ask them the their memory of the mm-hmm. case. Because my sister, she's three years older than me. So she, I think she was just in college at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I literally, I just asked him, do you remember the mass, the hunter mass shooting from 2004? Mm-hmm. That's all I, I asked them. <laughs> and they both immediately responded like, yeah, I remember it was a, a Hmong man chased down a group of hunters. Wow. wow. And, like, that's, that's all that we knew. So we were truly under this impression that it was this man that went crazy and stumbled upon a group of hunters and just killed them all. And that was it. Yeah. And it's like, this is a perfect example of how the news can just skew your perspective of the facts. And that's when you see the people coming out with their, uh, save a deer, kill among tailgate is because Mm -hmm. they are being told by the news that a Hmong man went crazy and just killed people. Right. Chase real down. Yeah. Yeah. When, like, none of the news reports mentioned at all that, like, he was lost. Um, exactly. That he was accosted, that that he was mm-hmm. literally stopped from trying to leave. Outnumbered. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't know, the thing is, again, we've said it endless times, like, nothing makes it okay. But... He doesn't know if he's outgunned at this point, too. He knows he's outmanned, but there are five people in front of him right now, and he doesn't know that they don't all have guns. Well, so he could have been outgunned as well. I think it's it's fair to say he has an assumption because rifles are. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like yes, they could have a handgun on them. That's entirely possible. I know many people who carry both, but Mm -hmm. it's unlikely rifles. Okay, okay. Yeah, I know. the people that I know, they would, like, carry a handgun if they needed to, like, finish their kill mm-hmm. close up. So if you find oh, that deer okay. and it's collapsed and to literally put it out of its suffering at that right. point, right. they have a handgun. So, like, it, that's right. entirely okay. possible. But they didn't have rifles. But unlikely. Unlikely. You guys will... Yeah. Y'all will understand as we go through this podcast that I have very little knowledge of guns and how they operate. And usually when I research, my husband Shay helps me a lot and Sam helps me a lot because I just so you're lear- have... You're learning everything I know uh, about guns in these episodes. Yeah, I just... <laughs> I just don't have the background. So I was like, I don't know, maybe he was scared because they all could have had like handguns. And like, I'm just unaware that it's not common to carry both when hunting. I don't. 
Yeah, it just kind of depends on the person. I think it's you're not really supposed to be mm-hmm. carrying the handgun, which is why a lot of people don't. Um, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Laws have changed a whole lot since I lived up there, and I never was a hunter. But I don't think it's actually legal to shoot a deer with a handgun. Hmm. But I don't know if there's like certain circumstances where it's like, instead of a very high-powered rifle from a foot away, handgun, I, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. regardless, there's a point there that they could have been carrying other guns. We don't know. But still, it, the end result doesn't justify shooting eight people multiple times and right. killing six of them. Right. And, like, I can only imagine, like, the the he... We discussed the crime a lot in the first episode, and the crime is egregious. He very I agree. Very I agree. I agree with you that the verdict is correct. I and I agree with you that um, it's not okay that this racial bias existed. However, when you hear the stories of how some of these some of these victims were murdered, it is truly horrifying like they there were there were victims that were murdered who were able to look him in the eye and that Lauren Hespeck literally hearing the click of the gun when he ran out of bullets like my god that's horrifying yes yes like when I when I called my family and I'm asking him this I told them the facts that I had started to read online and, and some of the details and we believed for nearly 20 years that this was a case of a madman because that's what our news wanted us to believe. Like they were as amazed as I was and wow. they're, they're very anxious for this episode to come out because they're like, we don't want to hear you say everything yet. Like we want to hear it on, on your episode, but they're like, yeah. we need to know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's crazy how, it's just, you know, something's reported one way and then maybe it doesn't stay in the news that long, but whatever was reported stays in the lexicon of the community exactly. way longer than the news report. And I think regardless of which side you're on here, because depending on whose story you believe is the most accurate, I can understand you being on both sides, at least to an extent. But I think in the end, we can all say that it is absolutely terrible that six people died while two others were wounded. Mm. And and please, please know that none of how we're putting this together today is to victim blame. No. That outcome should have never, ever happened. But no. we're trying to understand how we got to that outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to discuss the facts of the racial slurs and the conversations that happened ahead of time to understand why Vang made that choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it's an important thing to call out. Yeah. And, and I'm, there's no argument that Vang did the wrong thing. There isn't an argument. No. And there isn't an argument um, that any of them deserved any of this. They were many, 
at least a couple were young people with their whole lives ahead of them that he just stripped away. Two of them were related. So a family has just been shattered. Four of them are related. Well, two two <laughs> groups. So Terry right. Williams and his daughter, Jessica, and then Rob Corrado right. and his jo- son, Joey. Right. So two families have just been shattered. And that doesn't even factor in the people who were murdered, who were just taken from their community. Like, some of these guys might not have even said anything to Vang. Right. They might have just been riding in the ATV, you know? Um, well, uh, we know that know. Uh, Jessica Willers and Alan Lasek didn't. They drove they past sure him didn't. and shot him in the back. Yeah. So, like, obviously, we we believe that these victims were very unjustly murdered. But we also can't help but think that if he wasn't provoked with these racial comments and he wasn't chased down by four wheelers, would this have happened? Very possibly. Yeah, it it could have happened. And he clearly had a history of violence. Mm -hmm. And if this didn't if this incident didn't happen in this moment, I do really believe it would have happened with somebody else. Another group of people, somebody else who crossed that line for him. I I think I'm kind of in agreement with you on that, just based on the history that we heard that he has with threatening violence, particularly against spouses. I mm-hmm. I would think if this happened didn't happen in this case, it could have easily happened with one of his wives. Exactly. And I, I tried to find some research when it came to violent gun crime amongst hunters in rural areas mm-hmm. because there there's a big difference of how you treat a gun in a place like chicago versus how you treat a gun in northern wisconsin as a hunter mm-hmm. basically every study i found said that nearly all gun crime in these rural hunting areas is essentially non-existent Mm -hmm. i also called a friend of mine who is a medical examiner and i wanted i just wanted her thoughts on this Mm -hmm. and she is a medical examiner examiner in a rural area in northern wisconsin so her insight is very important in what's happening here and, and her experiences Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. actually recently took part in doing a study where she told me that in Vilas County, Oneida County, and Forest County, which are three counties that are just a little bit east of where this all happened, there have been less than 10 violent gun deaths in the last 10 years between the three counties. Wow. That doesn't include accidents, um, but... Purposeful gun deaths. Less than 10 in 10 years. We're lucky if we get less than 10 in a day here in Chicago. Yes, absolutely. That's mad. 10 violent deaths in the last 10 years. Yes. That's nuts. And people's relationship with guns are just so different in rural areas where hunting is common. 
during yeah, my conversation yeah, with my friend, we were just talking about people's views on guns and how they mm-hmm. protect them and treat them. And the majority of people who we know who are hunters keep their guns locked in safes or vaults. Mm-hmm. They perform routine maintenance on them. And if they didn't do that, then that means that they might not bring home the meat that they need during hunting season to feed their family for the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's the difference. And that's why the, the, the attitude around it right. is just so different. Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's so different than having a gun in a city. And she, she, gave me a pretty good analogy for this is people treat their guns how people protect and lock up medications if you had a baby mm-hmm. like you that... you need to take all those protocols you need to make sure that they can't get their hands on them mm-hmm. and uh, incidents happen unfortunately um i i i know multiple people who have died from hunting incidents when I was in the seventh grade, a classmate of mine shot himself back on accident. He was cleaning his gun. Oh. And I remember that being the first funeral I've gone to. God, that's like, horrible. That happens. Oh, my God. That's, I mean. But I will yeah, tell you, like, incidents wild. like that shake the whole community. That it mm-hmm. causes everyone to, like, tighten the reins a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and become more protective and and make sure that things like that don't repeat itself. Yeah. Yeah, I wish that I I wish that more I was talking with Shay about this the other day, my husband. Um I wish more people had you know, you hear people say when they put their life jacket on, like, oh, well, you have to have respect for the sea. Or you, you, right. you're you getting ready to go backpacking and you bring all your water because you have to have respect for the terrain. You know, like, I, I just wish people would say, like, would give guns that same weight. Like, you have to respect the violence that this piece of machinery can do. And if See, you they, don't. They do it can, up there. Exactly. They do. But like, that what I'm saying yeah. is I wish that attitude were more prevalent. Yeah, I agree. And, I and what's really that, kind of crazy yeah. about a lot of this, too, you get your hunting license at 12. That was bonkers. When I was in grade school, I would be out, kids would be out in, in their tree stand at sunrise with their parents waiting for a deer. Then they would have to leave to take them to school. And that's that's if their parents didn't just pull them out of school for hunting the hunting season in nine days. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. That's and normal. If they did go to school, oh, that's very normal. <laughs> like once okay. once hunting well, yeah. season I mean, you're comes trying... around, y- it like teachers know they have to do really light curriculums because they know half yeah. their students will be there. And we've learned enough through this episode that it's important enough because these people are trying to feed their families through the winter. Exactly. So it would be and, important enough to pull your child from school if they were old enough to successfully handle uh, an armament. Well, you even pull them out younger. They just don't have a gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can be spotters. They don't get that gun until they have their license. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what's in this something that when I tell people this, it truly blows their minds. But if those kids did go to school, they could walk through the front door of the school, their middle school, drop their rifle off in the front office so they can pick it up after class so they can go hunting until sunset. I was just going to let that breathe there with no comment <laughs> because I only recently... That was normal. You walk in the front door. I When I visited Sam's family, we were talking and it came up and it blew me away that you could check your gun at the school door and it was not weird. Not at all. And, and my mom, she worked the front office at my grade school. And there was this one point when a student was doing show and tell and he wanted to bring in his compound bowl. Oh, God. And this was a couple years after Columbine. This is, this is, Columbine was what, 99, 98, something like that? Uh, this was like the yeah. first couple years of 2000 that this happened. I was in middle school. Oh, my God. And she let him, well, the school let him bring the weapon in. And my mom had to escort him down the hallway to his classroom because the rule was mm -hmm. that they couldn't walk with any type of weapon in the hallway. Okay. All right. And so once they got to the classroom, she handed him the bow and he went in for show and tell. <laughs> Like that's okay. right. That's 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 what things are like up there. And like mm -hmm. we we were taught archery in gym class. I learned how to shoot that's a bow cool. at ten years old in gym class. That's really cool, actually. It, it was really fun. It, like we felt so cool as little kids shooting that's a bow and arrow cool. in the gym. I. I this will come out eventually as we do this true crime podcast, and I might as well do it now while we're talking about bow and arrows. Love to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow, but I don't have the upper body strength. I've heard it's quite quite difficult, but I also have never You'd shot. Be surprised. A gun. It depends. It depends on the the bow and its design. We should do one of those like mm -hmm. fun shooting range things, or like the Ren Fair or something. I'm yeah, like a, archery. I'd absolutely be willing to do. Yeah, let's but, let's do that uh, one day because that that exists around oh, here. I, yeah, archery. I'd I don't care about shooting a gun. That's not interest to me. But I would do archery. I like yeah. Throwing. My I I have no. I've never shot a gun. I have not even a BB gun. Not even a paintball gun. And I have no intention to do so. Yeah, because I have no, no desire for that. Because of what I just said just a little bit ago, that I have a healthy respect for how dangerous those weapons are. And I don't exactly. want I don't want a weapon that dangerous in my own hands. I, I don't I don't want that. I do understand people who use them, who even collect them. I understand. It's just personally, for me, I can't shoot a gun i can't yeah i'm I'm in the same boat and that kind of just brings us to the art conclusion here um but one thing i did really kind of want to mention because this this was a, a difficult couple of episodes it, it, we're walking a fine line here and it kind of just brought me back to the first 
review that we ever received for our podcast. <laughs> and Kelly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but it was someone who gave us a one star review after listening to the Sherry and Wounded Foot episode. And if you haven't listened, that episode is about a Native woman whose life could have potentially have been saved if people showed her a basic level of care. And then after she died, her case was barely investigated. This was a clear case of injustice and racism. And she was Native. And we we pointed out that this this was something that we felt like was very unfair and that she didn't deserve that sort of treatment. Mm-hmm. And the reviewer said that we were railing on Columbus Day, that we're racist against white people, and urged people not to listen to us. Whoever you are, if you're for some reason choosing to still listen to us, please understand that racism is an issue that unfortunately since white people make up the majority of our race as America, as a combined race, unfortunately, white people are the main offender because of that. According to usfacts.org in 2020, white people made up 59.3 of America. The next largest racial population was Hispanic and Latino at 189 we need to point out that just looking at that, that's a huge difference. Yeah. So just based on the fact that our country is made up of 59.3% of white people, they are statistically more likely to be the largest population of people who are also racist. I hope it's a tiny percentage. That's, that's what I would prefer to see. But I can't rely on that information. And I, I think that this episode walks the line in multiple directions here. And I think it's just really important to, to bring up our beliefs in that in any direction, racism isn't okay. Yeah. I would just like to share a little something. The, the Sherry and wounded foot case was my episode and I cared about it a lot. I still care about it a lot, about justice for Sherry and justice for her brother who was taken, not taken, he was murdered in the he exact same well. town. Yeah, you should listen to it. And Sam, feel free to cut this part if you would like. But I am just going to share a quote. It is, at this point, I have a request for our fans. If any of you in any way hate homosexuals, people of a different color, or women, please do us this one favor. Leave us the F alone. Don't come to our shows and don't buy our records. Kurt Cobain, frontman of Nirvana. I absolutely will not be cutting that because I also <laughs> <agree>. <laughs> And you knew I wouldn't cut that, but I absolutely will not. <laughs> You're welcome to if you want to, but you know, but I, I, I think that's that's something that is very very important to us. And mm-hmm. I I debated bringing up this review. It sucked. <laughs> that that sucked yeah. to read as our first review ever. But yeah. at the same time, I'm also very very proud 
of our choice to fight against racism. And unfortunately, this case has a lot to do with race. But there's the potential that it never would have happened if racism wasn't happen racism wasn't a part of it, but it did. And it, mm-hmm. because of the way that I grew up hearing about it, I felt the need that we really kind of need to show what modern day racism is like that isn't often being discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Fang spent his whole life with people treating him differently and terribly due to his race. If Willers and Hesbeck aren't are telling the truth, and while Vang is exaggerating the racism involved in this case, I do believe that Vang minimally perceived the encounter as racist. And as the saying goes, perception is reality. That does not yeah. justify killing six people and injuring two others. But it's disappointing to me that I'm learning this 19 years too late. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the outcome of the trial is correct. Like, it, that's right. He deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. But it feels oh, yeah. like the truth was kind of hidden from us because we were amongst mm-hmm. this area that is frequently known as being racist. So they told people what they wanted to hear more than what was actually the truth and i would recommend i recommended this on the sherry and wounded foot episode but i'll recommend it again there is an amazing book called lies my teacher told me where a lot of history is covered that i for certain missed in my history class and it is a great book to to take a look at and just to help challenge the perceptions that you've held through like rote learning in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there, there's a lot like and this is something that that's interesting to me, too. I've asked a lot of people in my life if they've ever heard of the walleye wars because it made big news. They made na- national news when it was happening and we learned mm-hmm. about it in school. I learned about it in my curriculum while I was in school, but I've never met anyone else who has ever learned about it. And I find that very interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. And it's just like, there's so many things. It's like, how there's, I bet you there's things like this in Ohio that you never learned about that. There's no way I would have ever learned about. Like every, every place has some sort of history that it's, probably not proud of that it's not talking about right and back a little bit to the this person who wrote the review they also wrote on twitter that we need to keep politics out of true crime and while we really don't want to get too political with our show these crimes often involve politics they are often political this case is political and we're here to discuss true crime. If we cut out all of the cases that include any sort of politics, we'll only be doing a small portion of our job as true crime podcasters. And I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to cover I, everything yeah. because it's important. I agree. And I would argue that 
not argue with you, argue with the reviewer. I would argue that all crime is political because... I think all crime or a very, very large majority of crime is political. Yeah. So Sam's right here. If we took all the politics out of true crime, then we would probably end up covering almost nothing. It's it's just almost inherently political because of the justice system. Exactly. Yeah, once the crime is committed, the justice system enters the picture and you want to accurately portray that part of the story as well. So... That's why I said, you know, this the sweeping statement that all crime is political. It may not be, you know, 100% of it might not be, but the cases that go before our judicial system are certainly political. Yeah, and also remember, politics really comes down to opinions. And it's okay to have a differing opinion as somebody else. That you can be on the opposite sides of whatever if it's the political spectrum if it is the religious spectrum anything like that and you can still show respect for each other and i think that is something that we can often forget and it could be on such an incredibly basic level if if you just didn't like something that person did you don't like their outfit you you might not want to be friends with them. Well, that's not necessarily showing respect because it's their opinion. They they liked that outfit. They chose it. Like it, it it's such on a tiny level, but it can be so massive as well. And I, I think right. it's really important to to be respectful to each other. Yeah, I think it's and I, and I think when it comes to differences in things as large and prevalent as politics and racism. I think it's even more important to be willing to listen to people who have different experiences than you with absolutely politics or with religion or with anything else. And like I wish could have happened here and in many other cases, try to build a relationship with that person where you can conduct conduct where you can conduct yourselves respectfully with them exactly even if you disagree on issues that you think are fundamental i understand but try and give yourself the ease of interaction by creating a mutual respect i would I would say. Exactly. And and talking about race is, is not an easy conversation. But as we've said, it's incredibly important for us to be respectful. And Kelly, you and I know that we will never fully understand the level of racism that the mm-hmm. rest of our 40.7% of our country has surely experienced throughout our lives, throughout their lives mm-hmm. and throughout their generations. You, you and I just Absolutely. can't understand. As No, no. But there's, we want to do our best no to tread lightly and not harm. Yeah, and we, we want to tread lightly and not risk harming anyone, but we also do want to take a stand and show our support 
So we have to talk about it. If we don't, what's the benefit? Mm -hmm. Who are we helping? That's the thing. Exactly. More than anything, it's it's my intention, and I know Sam's intention, in covering these cases, our intention is always coming from a place of wanting to help and wanting to amplify stories and wanting to lift up stories, and that's where it's coming from. We, we just want to help, and we want to see these things not happen to our neighbors. Exactly. And and we want to hear from you. We want to learn from you so that mm-hmm. if we have any opportunity to help, we can. There's a lot that we don't know. And that's why I wanted to talk about this case so specifically because I had personal experience in this area and I've experienced a lot of this racism firsthand through witnessing it. And then I experienced the news not reporting it and kind of quote unquote giving us what we want to hear mm-hmm. but it this is important to me to bring up because it's just this was something that was so mind-blowing to us when it happened and it became so much more mind-blowing the moment i started to do any sort of research on it mm-hmm. but we also really do want to thank our listeners who have stuck through this conversation it's not an easy one It's never going to be an easy one, but it is necessary. Mm -hmm. And I also want to thank our listeners who have also made the decision to give us a five-star review for our show so that it can be shared and most likely seen by other people. Um, You guys have been amazing because we have our one-star review, but every other review we have gotten to this point has been a five-star review. So So that's amazing. Yes, thank you it, for that. It, th- thank you very much. Thank you very much. And yeah, just from closing for me, I think that I have kind of spoken my piece a lot during this episode. Um, and I think I'll just leave That's it. That's a with, long one. <laughs> and I'll I'll just leave there's it. There's a lot with to say. That, yeah, there's a lot to say. I'll just leave it with that. I wish community and similarity and understanding could have prevailed here but if it did we wouldn't be sharing this story so so we have to share it for the victims have to share it for the victims have to share it for Mm -hmm. the story um i think that this is a fantastic example of you you what you see in the media and what you see discussed is not always the truth mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. that. And it sometimes is going to take a lot more digging to understand what really happened in a given situation. Mm-hmm. That's why we go through trials. That's why we go through that sort of stuff. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, welcome to the crazy one. That was my, my teen years all over the wow. news. Wow. That's that's wild. It, I'm, I was kind of hoping you would have just heard little bits and pieces and kind of had the same reaction as my mom and my sister. Because that's all the news really ever said. 
but no uh, well the thing the fact is, that you hadn't even heard of it at all is even crazier it's i was gonna say it's even more compelling i grew up in ohio i was not that far away it's still the midwest and i had never heard about yeah. any of this yeah this this was very big news but we want to thank you all for listening to have you heard about this case if you're looking for more of us, you can find us on Instagram at Have You Heard About This Case Pod. You can find us on Twitter at HYHATC Pod. Or you can email us at Have You Heard About This Case at gmail.com. And we would love it if you could leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we'll talk to you later. Have a good night. Bye.